0: of Ambassador Education Solutions. Laura, welcome to Sales Lead Dog.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, excited to have you here on the show. So, Laura, tell me a bit about your current role and uh, ambassador.
1: Sure, glad to. So, currently, I am the vice president of sales for Ambassador Education Solutions, and we provide course materials to colleges and universities and private K-12s all over the country. So, we're the largest provider for course materials in the career school sector. And then we are also working nationwide with all of the non profits universities and the private K-12s. And so we work on providing textbooks, anything that's required for course materials today so that students are able to access their materials for an affordable price and for in, in a very streamlined way. So we make that process and that workflow very seamless for them for our schools
0: and our clients. Yeah. I, I, it made me think back when I was prepping for the show. Um, it made me think back to when I was in college, there always seemed to be one class where we didn't, the textbook was on back order or there was some issue with Mm -hmm. your platform. That's really just doesn't exist anymore. Correct.
1: Well, it does exist, but if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing on the school side of it, on our side of it, there shouldn't be much back order that you have to deal with.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. So, And that's part of switching to more online bookstores, more providing all of your textbooks to students prior to the first day of class. That really helps um, stop any of those, those late orders, students showing up, books are on back order, they're not prepared for the first day. So. It's a win-win all around for universities, for the faculty, the students, the staff.
0: Yeah. And also the ability to, like my son's school, they do everything on iPad. So Mm -hmm. they have a combination. Most of the classes are done digitally over the iPad, all their course content. Some Mm -hmm. of them are traditional textbook. Do you see that to be the trend moving forward?
1: Definitely. We still do have a lot of schools that still prefer the printed hardbound textbook. But we're seeing more and more schools transition to the digital material. And even in light of the last 12 to 24 months, with a lot of schools going online, it really sped up that process. And most of these schools that adopt digital content in that format, they don't typically go back to a physical textbook. So we see more and more schools moving to that model, providing more choices within that that model as well for their
0: students. Yeah, it's a better experience. I was blown away when my son was showing me what he could do. It's not that static piece of paper. They can take a diagram like he had I right. think a, a picture of the heart and he was able to rotate the heart and look at it in 3D and things like that, that mm-hmm. you just otherwise could never do with traditional hardbound books.
1: Right. There, there's a lot of digital content that's outside of the standard ebook that you receive, you say. So when it provides all of those interactive pieces for students, so it's really just changing how students learn. And there's a lot of moving parts when you look at combining all this technology, providing, provisioning the materials and delivering them to students. Are you delivering them to the LMS system? How are they accessing these pieces? So that's what we do. That's what we specialize in. So we have a system built, a system called ROTA that is built for that exact piece that really streamlines this process for everybody involved.
0: Yeah. There's so much complexity, so many moving parts to that. It's Mm -hmm. pretty impressive when, you know, I was researching your company. It's pretty impressive what you guys have built.
1: Thanks. We're really proud of it. It's wonderful. It's very well received. Everybody loves it. So we're, we're very happy.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. All right, Laura, let's jump in. Um, When you think back over your career Um, What are the three things that have really driven and led to your success?
1: Gosh, it's hard to narrow down or to pinpoint. I would say really being motivated and driven, really performing and delivering results. um, And then really just networking and circling back to that, just having a lot of, of drive to succeed, having a vision of where you want to go and how you're going to get there, and then in the sales industry, a lot of things are all, it's all really data-driven, you it's results-based. So if you can perform and you can deliver those results, it unlocks more and more opportunities for you in your career path, which has been- different. When
0: you were in college, did you picture yourself being a, a sales leader in your career?
1: So when I went to school, my freshman year, I had my major declared. I went in to public relations and communications, journalism, and I declared that on day one, and I graduated with that, stayed the course. I actually picked my college based on that department. I really liked the faculty and involved. So from there, I moved into marketing and advertising, working in the insurance industry for a large insurance company here in, in my hometown. And spent a lot of time in marketing and advertising and PR and doing all of these different pieces. And then at some point over the decade plus, it transitioned into more of sales. And once I really got into sales, I realized that this was really my niche and this is what I was was really good at. And this is where I wanted to focus my career and the path moving forward.
0: It's funny when I ask that question. Very rarely do I have someone say, oh, yeah, that was my goal. I wanted to be in sales, right, when I got out of school. Most people end up tangentially moving into a sales career.
1: Well, even today, I feel as though people will say, I'm going to go to business. I'm going to go into business. But it still could be sales. It just depends. But it's almost that you just don't start off saying, I'm going to be in sales. But it's a byproduct or combined. I understand what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Do you remember the first big success you had in sales?
1: Gosh, I do. I, you know, my path moved very quickly again, with it just being such a results based driven place. Once you start delivering results, more and more opportunities open up for you. And so but there have been kind of monumental times over the last decade plus within the sales industry that I've been able to obtain really great sales or deliver really great numbers that have really you know, been able to help me in my path to where I am today.
0: Yeah. Um, what was your first really big disappointment in sales? Well, it's,
1: it's never fun not making a sale or not being chosen or your competitor being chosen and so that was something that you had to get used to and you had to get used to hearing the word no and you had to get used to people um, not always buying it even though that you think that they should and you know they would benefit from it but they just don't want it. So I think it was just establishing a workflow and a mindset that It's actually when somebody tells me no or when somebody tells the sales reps no on my team, I I look at it as a win because we're completing the sale. We're not spinning our wheels anymore. We're moving forward. We can work on other other, um, pipelines that would potentially want to. So I I really just kind of switch the way you look at the negatives or the times throughout your careers where you, you don't get things that you worked really, really hard for. And as some of you are aware, some of the the timeline for the, the sales cycle can be months and months and months. So it's it's difficult sometimes when you invest even a year plus into a deal and then it and not come follow through.
0: Oh yeah, uh, but you know, to me, I, I like how you phrase that. That it's a, it's an opportunity to move on. Um, mm-hmm. You're not waste spending your wheels, wasting more time, and it's also a, a learning opportunity. Um, mm-hmm. Could you talk a Absolutely. bit about leveraging? those losses as a learning opportunity?
1: Absolutely. Whenever I don't win something or whenever my team is not chosen, I always would welcome and always ask for feedback as to why, you know, what did another company have that we didn't have? Was it just you liked their name better? Was it just was the price? I mean, there's so many factors. So I look at it as an opportunity to figure out why we didn't win it if we're lucky enough to get the feedback to know, then we can take that back internally and we can then next time going out, be able to adjust, tweak, pivot things where we need to. So then maybe next time we won't we won't have the no. So I use it as an opportunity to figure out what we can do better, what we can do differently next time.
0: Yeah. Um, thinking back to when you first got your sales, you started in sales and what you know now, what would you like to say that young Laura just getting started in sales so that would have maybe made that path a little easier?
1: Gosh, it's it's to keep on going, um, keep on working hard, even if you feel defeated, even if you feel so you're not succeeding, you will work with mentors to help you along the way. That could be a great asset to have really good mentors in your in your sales career is extremely helpful you learn a lot along the way to keep trying to hone in on your skills and work on sales development as needed there's a lot of great platforms out there that offer sales training that really great material so just to keep working hard and keep looking for ways to continue to grow and learn even to this day today i'm i still like to learn new things and i still like to have conversations with other people and look at different ways that we could do things because everybody continually can get better and better at what they do and learn from one another. And so just to really take those opportunities when they present themselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. Talk a bit about your transition into sales leadership. What was behind that shift in career path from salesperson to sales leader?
1: So, and it is really a shift and it's something that um, everybody thinking about or currently in sales leadership needs to really think about. Because in sales, it can be very much an individual contributor role where you were basically responsible for your own results at a very high level. And when you go into sales sales leadership, you now are responsible for everybody's in results, everybody's quotas, and everybody's metrics and, and goals. And you can't always control their outcomes. And so it's society how how much that that means to you. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with taking on additional responsibility and mentoring and growing your team and at the same time looking at where you're trying to scale and grow? And so it's it's um, it's more difficult, but I also find it more rewarding. But it's so wonderful to be an individual contributor and really to go out and just do amazing work. So just really think about the bigger picture because you're taking on more responsibility and you're taking on responsibility that as much as you try to help guide and train and educate your staff and your team, they, um, at the end of the day, they, they're gonna make their contribution and then you're responsible for it.
0: You mentioned some difficulties. What was the hardest part of that transition into sales leadership?
1: So for me personally, it was really working on defining your team and recognizing individuals that you want to have a part of your team and then difficulty with having to maybe let some go that personally you really respected and, and loved working with. So I would say really... Fine-tuning your team and making some difficult decisions and going back to looking at sales as a result, based looking at the numbers, looking at what makes sense and being able to make those decisions, make those pivots, change things as needed along the way.
0: Um, so what do you think it was about you that made your boss at that time say, hey, Laura, we want you to consider this path? Did they ever tell you the reason why?
1: I, they never really did specifically, but um, it just seemed as though in the different organizations that I've worked with over the years, once I'm able to get in, the, in there and start delivering on results, and start working alongside that the opportunities presented themselves for me, which was wonderful. So going back to having that drive and being able to have the statistics to support it and being able to grow and, and mentor along the way. it's I always say this and agree, there's a difference between good, self, professionals and great sales professionals. And when you find a really great, great sales professional, you want to hold on to them and and never let them go. And you can, I've worked with so many different sales people over the years and on my team, and you can make people better and you can educate them and train them and have professional development and do all the things you're supposed to do, but they're, and they're doing good, but they're never going to be able to to do that great i just feel as though the best of the best of the best are kind of innately born salespeople, and it's an innate ability to be able to do things like when do i leave messages when do i send an email what time time of day do i call how many times do i call before i leave a message what do i how do i need to package our product what are we missing here all of these these innate things that help and even just in terms of the ability to connect with people, and to get past gatekeepers, and to develop relationships with people, so all of that combined into one, along with being extremely driven, extremely competitive, it's like the trifecta of an amazing salesperson. Anyone who wants them because they're going to do great things.
0: There's so much there to unpack, <laughs> you know, in terms of what goes into a great salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, and you made an interesting comment that, um, you know, you can put persons person through a lot of training, you can work with them a lot, but they're only going to go so far, they are going to hit a ceiling that may prevent them from getting to that, that status of great. Um, when you get into that scenario, when you've got someone that's peaked, you know what, what's your approach there, or do you have a, you know, plan for those individuals that you know that have peaked. Um, you know, how do you continue to manage them?
1: I do, a lot of it is being, making sure that they're in the right role, they're in the right position, that they are happy doing what they're doing and they are meeting their quotas and their metrics and their goals and their OTE. So they're meeting everything they need to meet, but, and they understand they don't want to be promoted. They don't want to go into leadership. They don't want to be an executive. They don't want to start their own company. They don't want to be a team leader, you know, that they're happy. And fulfilled in their current position, and if you can manage that and know that they're happy, know that they feel as though they're they're um, respected and appreciated and doing a good job, I think it's great. I think it's a win-win for everybody. So it's it's when you have somebody who want has this trajectory where they feel that they want to go into leadership and they want to move on and keep moving up within the space, but they they possibly won't ever get there or maybe they will, but they won't be very good at it at that point. it's it's having honest conversations and saying, not putting them in those positions, finding somebody else who you feel is more qualified, who has some of these abilities that you see that is needed in that role that this individual person may may not obtain. Yeah.
0: Um, what role does empathy play for you as a sales leader?
1: Well, it's important. It's important in our daily conversations and it's important with the sales team. It's important with our conversations with our clients, our potential clients and our current clients. And, you know, if anything, over the years, I've personally been to the point where maybe I'm being too empathetic or maybe I'm not pushing enough or. And so that is something that I've had to balance over my career in leadership is learning how to manage that and when it's when it's within reason when it's warranted when it's positive and then when to um kind of turn it off and say this is now reached over and it's factoring into business too much if that makes sense
0: no it totally does and i agree that's a hard balance that uh you know, stuff happens to people. They may have a lot of stuff going on in their personal life, but bottom line, the work still has to get done.
1: Yeah.
0: And uh, so, it it can be tough to to manage so balance. that balance.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: um, it's not much
1: much better of balancing that and having that firmer line right. <laughs> over the last decade. So mm-hmm. yeah,
0: yeah. Um, did you ever make the mistake of of trying to be too close to your your team, maybe early on in your career?
1: Gosh. There, there was one earlier on very, this was many, many years ago, but I was really close with one of my team members who, when I started with an organization, I, I was in, in the same position, but then over the years I moved up and I was then managing this team. And I was super close with, with one of the women on the team who, um, and what ended up, hap- ended up happening is I ended up needing to let her go because she wasn't performing to where she needed to be, and going through the whole empathy thing, and and right. and that was tough. It ruined the friendship, yeah. you know. And even though it was just business, and but it kind of that was a that was a difficult situation where we were too close, but we were too close going into it because I used to be right. a coworker, but now I'm a boss. And now I have to, to fire her. So that was
0: really tough. Yeah, I can't think of a tougher thing. That that's uh, that's, that's super tougher. tough. Mm-hmm. Um, Good people Oh yeah, yeah. Um, is there, now that you're you've been in sales leadership for a while? What's changed about your perspective compared to when you first came into your role as a sales leader? You
1: know, a lot has changed. Even from the leadership standpoint, even in terms of looking at all of the different platforms that are available to work on, for managing your sales team, all the different communication platforms out there that are used in sales. So there's been a lot of change on, in just the sales industry and the technology point of it. And so that's something that's been interesting. And when I think back to when I started in the sales and picking up the phone and making phone calls and, and doing things like that. And where we are today with automated email sequences and campaigns and rec- you know, gong or recording of different meetings, it's, it's just very different. And, but I think for us in sales, it's all very positive. And I think it's helped make our jobs more effective and better and hopefully produce better, better results.
0: Um, I think part of being a sales leader is cultivating those people. You also want to move into sales leadership. What are you looking for? What are those signs that indicate someone on your team should start considering that transition into sales leadership?
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, great, great question. So kind of, even as, as I mentioned earlier, being able to really see when you have some really well, um, Qualified candidates on your team and wanting to hold on to them and wanting them to to be fulfilled in in their job and their responsibilities. And I really look for team members that are hitting their results, they're hitting their quotas, their goals, they're exceeding them. And they're not only exceeding them, they're exceeding them by 150%, 200%. I mean, they're just extremely competitive. They're very much a self starter. They don't need somebody looking over them 24 7 or running reports to look at activity. They're very um, trustworthy, they want to grow, they're open to um, to ways to get better, ways to improve. It's conversations on where they would like to see themselves in five years, in 10 years, making sure you can try to align your paths. And so it's really looking for somebody who is possessing a a lot of great qualities and proving, proving themselves day in and day out.
0: Maybe a lot of salespeople that are great working as an individual, you know, like mm-hmm. you're saying, kid, at that 150, 200% of quota, they crush it as an individual. Mm-hmm. What are you looking for in terms of their ability to collaborate and work as, as a team as part of that decision for a, a path to leadership?
1: They have to have the ability to kind of remove themselves from that and look at things in, in a big picture, look at the company, look at the growth, look at, the goals that we have company-wide and be able to take themselves out of their individual role. I mean, Many sales reps, you learn your territory and you're very you're focused on your territory and knowing every ins and outs and every which way and sideways, but being able then to now look at things differently, be able to figure out what's working, what's not working, what should be applied company-wide, sales-wide, what shouldn't be, what are ways that you feel things should take place. What training, maybe additional training, maybe different different products need to be changed. Being able to take um, things that they're working on at, at a daily level and applying them to the big picture.
0: Right. Uh, thinking back of all the people you've hired, um, can you describe the attributes of the person that was your best hire? And you know, what were those attributes that really, do you think contributed to that success?
1: she she's definitely my best hire. I've, I've hired her twice already to to work on my sales team as I've moved along. So I'm getting ready to bring her over for a third time. So it it really goes back to, she really reminded me a lot of myself when I was kind of starting out. And she is very much just very competitive, very willing to learn, very um, willing to just have that drive in her where it's you want to just keep going and going and going until you feel like your pipeline is in a really good place or you have the deals closed and just having that that passion for it and every time I've I've had her on my team she always is amazing Kick out of the ballpark great so it's finding that person who just possesses all those qualities that Keeps on going because with sales, you know, pipeline is key. It's huge. If you don't have pipeline, you don't have sales. And some people, it really bothers if you don't have pipeline. I joke around with my family and friends saying, well, I, I'm in a bad mood if I don't feel like my pipeline is exactly where I want it to be for my team. It, I get antsy. I start like twitching, like this isn't working. And I just, we, we just have to put our nose down and get it to a place where like, okay, we can breathe. And it's very much like that, where you just had to keep going.
0: Yeah. How do you help your team keep rejection in perspective?
1: That's hard. I go back to what I had said, saying, this is a completion. This is good. This is now we're not wasting any time spinning our wheels on this. And we could be using that effort and talking to potential clients. So, I always go back to that because that is number one because that's huge. People spend a lot of time going after clients and contacts, and they don't ever connect with them. They don't. They're not able to, to move on, or they're going off the wrong after the wrong people, and and that's just wasted effort essentially. So going back and honing in, looking at who you're who you are going after, different ways to perhaps bring other bring other pipelines into your system that would be more positive, making pivots, trying different different verticals. if you have the ability to sell within different verticals as we do, I try to encourage them different ways to make those pivots even throughout your day right. to get you kind of up and running again because it can be deflating for people absolutely.
0: Um, the uh, uh, Oh, I just, I had a question around that, uh, what you're saying, and I got so entranced of so what you were saying. I forgot my next question. It was around the, uh, um, uh, when you're losing those deals, uh, a lot of the uh, sales leaders I talk to like to do retrospectives
1: mm-hmm.
0: on, you know, they'll pick out a handful of deals that have been lost. Yeah. Do you, do you think that's a good idea to do those retrospectives?
1: I do. I do. We, we do them. I, I do them primarily when I'm looking big picture, when I'm looking at RFPs that we've spent you an know, enormous amount of time responding to and crafting and pitching proposals and, and go back and okay, we're going to look at the scoring system. We're going to look at the comments from the committee. We're going to do that work to see where we fell short, where we could have scored higher. How can we make these changes so that next time we were better off. So absolutely. And I always welcome that, especially in those types of situations when you're dealing with big deals and you have the ability to have feedback, to have scoring systems, to have comments, to have categories. That's extremely valuable to me.
0: I love that you go, you have your team go back and ask why. And, mm-hmm. uh, and because I know like you can't do the retrospectives unless you're doing that and you're really mm-hmm. finding out exactly why you lost the deal. What was it about your competitor that maybe was better? Um, If you don't know that, how can you adapt and compete?
1: Right. You're guessing. And it's good luck. I mean, it's it's difficult. And you ask, and sometimes you ask and they don't tell you or they don't respond or they don't want to share that information with you. But other times they do. And when they do, that's super valuable so that yep. you are able to make those, have those conversations and make those changes.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're basically, they're giving you, uh, it's not free advice, but because you spent a lot of time to earn it, but uh,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's foolish not, because you spent all that time to earn it, it's foolish not to capture it.
1: Right. And uh, and I'm very, very big on transparency throughout my whole sales process, being right. extremely transparent from beginning to end. I'm very much um, in the school of thought that, you know, I deliver what I sell, so I'm going to be very transparent, very open, make sure we cross every T dot every I so that once the deal is closed and you're a client of ours, that everything that we talked about throughout the, the entire sales process you know, will come to fruition for you. And as part of the, the transparency that I, I want to have with my relationships with my clients and prospects would be that feedback, being able to share that with me so no. and with my team.
0: That's great. CRM, do you love it or do you hate it?
1: I love it. I mean, if your sales leaders need it for multiple different reasons, um, SDRs, sales reps, RSMs need it in a different capacity. It's super important. It's the hub of everything you're doing for sales. So all of my, my sales team, they live and breathe in, a, in the CRM it's extremely valuable. And when it's going
0: to make you a better salesperson if you manage it the right way. Oh, for sure. Um, when I, when we implement CRM, we, we come in with a message to the sales team that we develop with our clients about the why, why we're implementing CRM and why we're using it and what's the benefits to them, the frontline users. What is your message when you have that conversation with your sales team?
1: It's extremely, extremely important. And I've been in different positions where I've had my manager or my executive come down and say, Laura, you're behind on your pipeline. Where's your opportunities? Or update them. And I know it's a pain. And, but it's still, we need it for the scaling and we need it for a lot of different reasons. But your sales team needs it to manage all the moving pieces. Things, If you don't manage it correctly, if you don't manage your accounts and your pipeline, things get lost in the shuffle. They fall through the cracks and you forget to follow up on deals and you forget to record different things. You forget you maybe even had a conversation with somebody. It's you have to really live and breathe from your CRM because you have to be able to see what your last conversation was, who's the right contact person, who's the competing vendor that might be currently servicing them all in one place, but a quick glance to be off and running and work on your next, your next call.
0: Right, and we talked in our pre-show that you, your company just recently transitioned to a new CRM and and your firm made the decision to self-implement and that there are portions of that that have been a struggle. Can you talk a bit about any lessons you've learned from those struggles?
1: Absolutely, having worked in several different CRM systems over the years, i was kind of in the mindset that they all were very customizable, um, pretty user friendly. My advice moving forward is to really kind of look under the, the hood in more detail. I think where I made the assumption some of that transition and customization and reporting needs that I wanted and needed for implementing this within my team were much harder to obtain than I have had experienced with previously. So, looking at what does their backend look like, what does that implementation process look like? How hard is it really going to be to have customized reports done? And and really, you know, we didn't account for some of the additional training and costs that came along with it because those pieces were very difficult to do on our own.
0: Right. Yeah, that's really good advice. And one of the areas that I see a lot, um, I happen to be on a, I had the privilege of listening to a a group of uh, sales leaders that were having a monthly meeting where they just basically share experiences and what they're doing, what's working, what's not. And one person came on who was new in his role, um, who was saddled with a CRM that was chosen by his uh, predecessor. That mm-hmm. couldn't integrate, had no API, couldn't integrate with anything else in the company, and so they had this very expensive data silo mm-hmm. that he was stuck with, and and that's one of those areas that people overlook those backend type things that oh. you have to have,
1: mm-hmm. and very important. And I'm 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 happy with our move, and I did decide you know to make this migration, and I'm very happy that we did it. However. Really taking a bigger look at the back end and not making assumptions because it's a big name, for example, or thinking that's going to be easy. This is easy. You know, really having to dig, dig deep and be able to have a clearer picture of what all is going to entail to make that migration.
0: Yeah. Well, we're coming up on our time here on Sales Lead Dog. I really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been great chatting with you. If people want to reach out with you, uh, reach out to you, Laura, and connect, if they want to learn more about Ambassador, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Absolutely. I will share with you my email um, and my direct phone number, my my LinkedIn profile as well. I'd be happy to talk to you about um, Ambassador and any other questions for me personally that you have within the sales industry. Happy to connect. And I can share all of that information with you,
0: Chris. We'll put all that in the show notes. So uh, instead of you having to, to, because I'm one of those people, if someone's talking, I can never capture, especially email addresses. Right. Um, You know, so we'll put all that in the show notes. That's very gracious of you, Laura, to include all that. Absolutely. Um, So uh, be sure to check out Ambassador's website, even if you're not in the market to be a customer. Her technology is pretty cool. Um, And... uh,
1: to I, I guarantee you.
0: you at some point, if you have children, they're going to be using their platform. Mm-hmm. So. Oh yes, yeah, for
1: sure.
0: Excellent. Well, thanks again for coming on Sales Lead Dog.
1: Thanks so much.
0: As we end this discussion on Sales Lead Dog, be sure to subscribe to catch all our episodes. On social media, follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Watch the videos on YouTube, and you can also find our episodes on our website at impellercrm.com forward slash sales lead dog. Sales lead dog is supported by impeller CRM, delivering objectively better CRM for business guaranteed.